I have your Bible. <laughs> One thing about this guy, he brings his Bible every Sunday, open on the front. You've got to admire that. No, I'm not, I didn't say it was rare for worship guy. I didn't go there. I'm trying to be kind. It's hard, but I'm trying. So, and this is Tennessee Orange. So I don't want to hear any more snide little comments about Texas, Tennessee, to keep you awake. Uh, I do have some contacts now. So now I know two things, whether or not you're there. I wasn't sure before. And number two, whether or not you're sleeping. I can tell if Mike Walker's sleeping back there. So we're in good shape here. So and if, now I can tell if you leave. So there you go. We're going to look at something today in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're continuing through the text. We're going to look at something that actually has some applica- and, and, uh, application to uh, Memorial Day particularly. It's probably the simplest concept to understand. There's nothing to it, really. But it is sometimes very, very easy to live out. Sometimes it is excruciating to live out. It depends on what God wants to do or not want to do in your life. In the Old Testament, there is uh, Prophet Elijah, right? And his big enemy and the opposition with him is Ahab and Jezebel, who are just two vile people. They worship Baal, they brought the worship into the area, and they're horrible. So this is an ongoing battle between them. Ahab's been trying to find Elijah, he wants to kill him. So inside Ahab's court is a guy named Obadiah. It's not really probably the Obadiah we're reading, but he's really a great guy, he's loyal to the Jewish nation, he's protected some prophets at his own life's risk. So he's a really solid guy. And Elijah meets him in the way, and he says, Tell Ahab, I meet him over here at a certain time. And Obadiah goes, No. I know you. And I know how God works with you. You'll tell me that, and then God will pull you off somewhere. And I'll be left holding the goods when I told the king you were there and you're not. And I'm the one that's going to get killed. Nope, I'm not doing it. Find some other guy. And Elijah says, look. And he actually doesn't deny that that happens in his life. He says, you're right. But this time, if I tell you I'm going to be here, I'll be here. And so Obadiah goes back, and Elijah meets with Ahab. But that, if you read the Old Testament, was the continuing refrain of these guys. They never really knew what God was going to do with them. We have Philip, we've seen, he's sitting in Samaria. His plan is holding this great revival. He's in a metroplex area. And God comes to him and says, I want you to go to the road between Temple and Hearn. And stand there and wait. And so he's standing in the middle of the road waiting to talk to one person. He's been leading countless people to Christ. And God removes him from that and tells him to go talk to one person. Now, listen to chapter 2, 
verse 12 of 2 Corinthians. He said, I, I went to Troas, and that doesn't mean anything to you and me. Troas was a major metropolitan city, huge place, to preach the gospel of Christ. And there was an effective door open for me and the Lord. Now, that effective door meant two things. He was able to preach without being killed. And number two, his preaching was effective. There were people in Troas that were coming to Christ. He was establishing a church, and he was fixing to get it going. But I had no rest in my spirit when I didn't find Titus, my brother. So I left them, and I went to Macedonia. Now, he's talking in the context about this church. Remember, this church is totally and completely messed up. And it's broken his heart. He founded the church, spent a year and a half there. It's killing him that they're messed up. And so he says, and, and he's going to argue that this was okay with God in the next couple of verses. But what he says is, I was, I was in the middle. My plan was to be in Troas and really lay the gospel out. That was my plan. And I was living out my plan, and my plan was effective. But I was so burdened for you, and I couldn't find Titus to find out what was going on with you. And remember, in this day, there's no texting, no email, no instant communication. So he leaves to find Titus because he's so concerned about his church. God changed Paul's plans out of his concern for the church. Now, it's a real simple concept. I know that we all have, and if we've grown up in America, we all generally come out, or most of us come out with the same sort of plan. We're going to go to college, we're going to get a job, we're going to get married, we're going to have kids, and that's going to be our life. The problem that you face is that God may, in fact, and for most of you probably will, have different plans. And he's not going to tell you what those are. He's just going to work them out in your life. <clears throat> Everybody's always asked me why I'm a big Alabama fan since I didn't go there. Well, I grew up loving Alabama, and I was going there. I'd been accepted. Matter of fact, the week I'm sitting at home, and if you get accepted somewhere like Alabama, you get 50,000 fraternity letters. And so I'm looking through all these fraternity letters, trying to decide where I want to, which one I might want to pledge. And uh, in the middle of that, God spoke to me one night and said, I don't want you to be a geologist and go to Alabama. I want you to preach. So I surrendered to that, and that changed the plan of my life. My plan now, I went to a Baptist school in Mississippi and locked down there. Five years into our marriage, I made the decision, my plan, that we were not going to have any children. Yeah, I know. Stupid is as stupid speaks. But at any rate, so I'd planned not to have any children. And one day I'm reading Newsweek, and in the, in, if you've ever read that magazine, there's a front column called My Turn where somebody shares what they think about some issue. And so there was this article about this person and why they weren't having children. And I'm reading this and I'm going, this is tremendous sermon material. So I cut it out. 
I'm just about to put it in my sermon file when the Holy Spirit goes, those are all the reasons why you're not having children. So I picked it up, reread it, went back home, looked at Peg. Three weeks later, Stephen's on the way. And if you don't think kids won't change your plans, don't plan on having any. They will alter your entire existence as a human being. <clears throat> but he changes what we plan. The people that run our senior adult ministry, John and Debbie Maurer. John's a geneticist out of A&M. Debbie does our women's ministry. They did spend their life doing cattle auctions, very successful. And then God called them, changed their life, and pulled them into ministry here at Central Baptist with senior adults. Some of you in this room. <clears throat> that uh, your plan was that you would go to college and get married. But now you're in your late 30s, early 40s. <clears throat> and you're not married. And part of the reason you're not married is because of who you are in Jesus Christ. Now, the enemy's going to tell you you're not married because there's something wrong with you. No, there's something right with you. We got way too many people jumping in and out of marriages. We got people that trade out of marriages like somebody else does golf clubs. We got people that just jump in and out. But we have people in this church that are single in their 40s because, number one, they've not found anybody that they're in love with who stands well with Jesus Christ. And it's because of their stand on the Word and their stand on Jesus Christ and their value of Him that that love for Jesus has actually hindered their plan. We have people in this church who have one of the great new ministries we have at Central Baptist. We have a full-time staff lady, Haley Osborne, who runs our special needs ministry. Now, we, if, if you run the stats... I can't remember the exact number, but it's about 83% of mothers. If they discover that they have a child with Down syndrome, they terminate the pregnancy. 83%. We have a lot of people with special needs children in this church because they chose not to change the plan God put in there. So sometimes our plans are governed and guided by him. Sometimes they're easy, sometimes they're not. He doesn't tell us. And sometimes they change crazily. My, uh, my favorite author is C.S. Lewis. <clears throat> Let me just tell you a book. If you've not read this book, you need to get the book by C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters. Boy, that thing is Unbelievable. Uh, but C.S. Lewis, my favorite author, apologist for Christ, went from atheism to just a devout believer in Jesus. He's an old prof. He's uh, in his 50s. When to make a long story short, a lady from America who was pretty well known, was a communist, then a Jew, and then through correspondence with C.S. Lewis, became a Christian. She went to Europe and met him. In the course, again, of making a long story short, she had a husband at home who was involved with another lady living in the house, actually asked her, said, why don't you come home and we'll just all three live together? Yeah, okay. But in that day, so she wound up divorcing him, but in that day, 
1950s, if you were divorced, you were really of no value. And so she goes to Europe with the boys. They fall in love, and they decide to marry. Now, C.S. Lewis had an interesting view on marriage, which especially almost prophetic in view of what we're probably going to have to do inside our churches in the next 10 or 15 years. He believed that the church should have a different type of marriage covenant than the state. He believed you ought to get married by the state, but that the church ought to have a higher covenant and a stronger covenant. And so he married this lady and went to his priest and said, would you now marry us in the church? And the priest said, no, can't do that. She's divorced. So they got married civilly but didn't live together because Lewis felt he didn't have the church approval. About a year later, she's standing in her kitchen and her leg breaks. And so they go to the doctor and discover that she's just filled with cancer. The bones are just literally filled with it. She's devastated, of course. So Lewis knows an Anglican priest, a friend uh, that he knows, who's supposedly a guy that anoints with oil and really has a great prayer for healing. So he has him come up, and the guy prays over his wife, Joy. And he asked that Anglican priest, he said, would you marry us? And he said, you know, even though you're not in my diocese, sure, I'll do that. So he marries them, so they begin to live together, and they have three years of remission where they travel and they write together and they do different things. And then at the end of three years, cancer returns with a vengeance and kills her. Now, I doubt that C.S. Lewis had that as a plan for his life. My bet is he's at a point in his life where he didn't plan that he'd get married. He certainly didn't plan that if he got married, he wouldn't be able to live with her. He certainly didn't plan when he finally could live with her that she would die in three years. God's plans... He simply doesn't announce. But they will come to your life. And you never know what they are. In the Old Testament, we've got a young Jewish girl. Her parents are dead. She's gorgeous. She's living with her cousin. And one day there's a knock on the door in the king's, and she's in exile with all the rest of Israel in Susa. And so the king's men come and say, hey, here it is. We're taking you. You're going to do a year's beauty treatments, and then you're going to have one night with a king. If he likes you, you become the queen. If he doesn't, you go into the harem, and that's your life. You have no say over it. So she winds up becoming the queen. Seems like a good deal, and then one day she hears that the king's right-hand man is going to kill all the Jews, and so Mordecai, her cousin, I mean, uh, Mordecai, her cousin, comes and tells her about Haman. She's terrified because if she goes into the king, she could die. She winds up, though, saving the entire nation of Israel. I don't think that was on her plan. John the Baptist, his parents die at a young age. He's raised in probably the Qumran community where the Essenes live. A horribly, unbelievably, you think Baptists are legalistic. Oh, my. These guys are crazy, and they live in the worst part of Israel. It's ugly, it's desolate, it's pitiful. And all he does is read Bibles and talk about things and shares. And then finally, he gets the call. He 
is the forerunner for the deliverer of the world. And so he takes it, and he begins to preach. And he preaches maybe six months to a year. Jesus shows up, baptizes him. Jesus' ministry takes off. His is gone. He speaks against Herod Agrippa. Herod, even though he loves him, puts him in jail. He's so distraught over the change of plans that God's allowed in his life that he actually sends guys to ask Jesus, are you the one that I thought you were? And then one night, the real change of plans, when some men open the jail door and walk in and basically say to him that because of a lady's pole dancing upstairs, that they're going to cut his head off. And that's how he ends. Now, his plans sometimes are really good. Sometimes they're really hard. I know for me, his plan has been the best thing that ever happened in my life. I love being here. I love being a pastor. I love being a preacher. I love being an American guy. And I'm telling you, every bit of his plan I've thoroughly enjoyed doesn't always work that way we tomorrow will have memorial day right it's about men women who didn't come home i don't think there's a single family who has somebody in the military that plans for them to die you plan for them to come home I'll tell you, the thing that tears me up, I have even trouble talking about it, but getting old. But when you see, uh, like, these little girls throwing a ball, and the catcher is her dad off deployment. Man, those things tear me up, obviously. That's a great plan. It's a great ending. It's a tough ending when the chaplain and the colonel of the base knock on your door. And tomorrow we honor people whose plans didn't end the way they wanted. And I'm telling you, God's plans are not sometimes easy. Even for Jesus, who looked at God when he was fixing to inaugurate the plan, and he said, God, I don't want to do this plan. I don't. I will do it if that's what you want, but I don't want to do it. And in this little phrase that is the key to not being bitter when the plan is not beneficial to you, but it is to his kingdom. This little phrase, Hebrews, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. John, have a great time when they come down laughing and the pole dancing got him killed. No, but when he stepped into heaven, great joy. When Stephen, I love this truth, but if you read the book of Acts, it says that when Jesus ascended, that he was sitting on the right hand of the Father. But that when Stephen, the very first martyr to die, certainly not in his plans, that the Bible says Jesus was seen 
standing, welcoming the first man home to die for his name. Plans sometimes are really easy and sometimes they are difficult, but it doesn't matter which way it goes. Whether the joy is here, whether the joy comes later as it did with Jesus Christ, doesn't matter. You only have two options. I'm not going to tell you what he's going to do, and your walk with him may make the plan hard. Because we have some people in here that can marry if they'd lower their standards. We have some people that wouldn't have a special needs child that they're having difficulty raising if they didn't have a high standard in Jesus Christ. His plans are difficult, at times easy, at times not. But at the end of the day, whether it's here or there, his joy wins out. What did we sing today? Our Father is God.